We're talking this morning about experiencing personal revival. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to have free reign in our control within our lives, folks, we will experience revival. Rebuilding walls, finding your place. This is our 12th lesson in the book of Nehemiah. And like I say, we want to talk to you this morning on experiencing personal revival. You know, throughout this study, you know, we've seen the enemy stop at nothing to hinder both the work of God and the man of God. And however, because of Nehemiah keeping his focus upon God and the mission that God had given him, the enemy was not able to thwart the mission that God had laid out for his people. No compromise, no counterattack when it came to slander that we looked at last week. No giving in to sin of hiding in the temple like the enemy tried to get him to do. No neglecting his responsibilities. No losing focus of the goal. But even after all the miraculous things and the events, you know, uh, there was still something missing. After finishing this wall, uh, which others looked at as an impossible task, in 52 days, you know, there was something missing in the hearts and the lives of the people. It was not just enough to build the wall and just sit back and, and look at the success of their hard labor. You know, even after such a great accomplishment, there was a void in their life. There was a void that needed to be filled inside those new walls. And when it comes to spiritual peace, folks, it's not just enough to, to have buildings and organization. What happens on the inside of our building and on the inside of our life is what ha uh, uh, counts with God. Now, what the people needed after such a victory of building this wall, this impossible task, what the people needed uh, is the same thing, I believe, is desperately needed in our churches, in our nation today, and that is personal revival. You know, a good definition of revival is this. When I allow God to have all His way in all, my, all the time in all my life. Look at that again. This is what revival is. This is the definition of a revival. When I allow Jesus Christ to have all his way, all the time, in all my life. Now, the question we need to ask ourselves is, do I do this? Do I allow Jesus to have his way in my life? Do I allow Jesus to have his way all the time in my life? Do I allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord and the King of my life? Look, if there was ever a time, now don't miss this. You say, well, how do I know if I need personal revival? How do I know if I need revival within my life? Listen to this. Okay, if there was ever a time in your life when you were walking closer to the Lord than you are right now, say that again. If there was ever a time in your life that you were walking closer to the Lord than you are right now, you know, you need personal revival. If you look back and say, well, I remember when I was really closer to the Lord. I remember when, you know, going to church excited me. I remember when studying the Word of God, you know, excited me. I remember when, uh, you know, corporate worship, when I, I couldn't wait for Sunday for corporate worship. If there was ever a time in your life that you know you was closer to God than what you are right now today, then you need personal revival. I mean, it's just that plain and it's that simple. Look, many times we work so hard in ministry that we wear ourselves down physically, and as a result, it affects us spiritually. 
So it was with Nehemiah and the people of God. Now today we're going to see that revival was needed after such a demanding responsibility upon the children of God. And let's see what took place next. Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. First of all, personal revival, it requires congregation, folks. Now don't miss this. Personal revival requires congregation. Now, what do we mean by that? Here's what we see in verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together. Now, don't miss this. As one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they, now I want you to notice this, they spake to Ezra. It wasn't Ezra saying, come on, guys, let's get together and read the Word of God. It wasn't Ezra, the priest, saying, come on, guys, let's get together and open the Word of God. The people realized that there was a need in their life. The people realized there was a void missing, even though they had just been successful building this new wall. And the people called for a reading of the Word of God. Now, let's read on here, because that's important to understand. They spake to Ezra the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Now, what's important here is they came together as one. You know, one of the most important ingredients, folks, of personal revival is gathering ourselves together as believers. You know, some people don't think church is important. Some people, you know, think that Christmas and, and Easter, that's, that's all they need. Well, you know what? I wish I was that spiritual. I wish I was spiritual enough that all I needed was two times a year in church, but I'm not there yet, you know. Praise God, some people are, I guess. I don't know. But, folks, we have to understand that congregation coming together for corporate worship is very important for the believer, you know. And, and uh, again, this is one of the most important ingredients for personal revival. Not only is there strength in numbers, but congregational worship tends to bring us together in unity and oneness, and it ignites a fire with inside us. This is one reason Paul encouraged us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together in the manner that some because gathering together, folks, for corporate worship is so important. Gathering together as a congregation of Fairview Baptist Church is so important. You know, a person who separates themselves from congregation is like, and most of us all have fireplaces or wood heaters or something. But have you ever noticed in a fireplace, especially if you pile up some wood and you got a good hot fire going and one of those logs happened to roll off, the rest of them, and it kind of gets out here by itself, okay? What happens to that log after a little bit? It begins to, the fire begins to go out. It begins to get dim because it's not with the rest of the logs. I think we got a bunch of log people in the churches. They have rolled away, and that, that's, again, that's the danger of forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. You're like a little old log that rolls away from the, the fire, and it's not long until your fire is out. You've lost that zeal. You've lost that desire. You've lost, you know, the, 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 that willingness to, to truly serve God when you're not together. Look, you show me a person that misses three Sundays in a row. Okay? 
Show me a person that misses three Sundays in a row, and I'll show you a person whose flame is about to go out. Now, if, if you'll stop and think about it, you miss one Sunday, and that ain't too bad. I, I'm going next week. You miss the second Sunday. Hmm, that wasn't too hard. You miss the third Sunday, and what happens? Don't care to go to another one. That's just the way we are. That's just the way we are. In other words, we get away from congregation. And when we get away from congregation, folks, our fire is going to go out. And when we get away from congregation, listen to me, we're in need of personal revival. Because once we get away from congregation, we're not where we was before. And what did we say is the sign of needing personal revival? When you can look back and say, well, I'm not where I used to be with the Lord. You're in need of personal revival at that point. So, the next thing here we see, we gather together to seek the Lord and to celebrate His goodness to us. It's another reason we gather together. You know, congregational worship involves more than just us showing up to church singing a few songs, and listening to the sermon. It, it, it goes way beyond that, folks. Look, congregational worship is our coming together as a family of God. Congregational worship is our seeking the Lord together. Congregational worship is cleansing ourselves in order to be able to enter the presence of God and celebrate the goodness of God, to, 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 to celebrate His mercy upon us, His grace, His love for all of us. That's what congregational worship is all about. Look, it is a time of praising and lifting our hearts together as one. What did we see in verse 1 there? They came together as one man. And when we congregate together, when we come together in corporate worship, that's what we're doing as one. We're lifting our praises to God as one, as one. Look, when we truly celebrate the Lord as a congregation, it's a worship experience that's going to rekindle that fire that's within you. What did the people say? Bring the book. What book? The Word of God, folks. The Word of God. Bring the book. Why did the people say that? Because they desired the Word of God. They desired the Word of God. Look, part of congregational worship is breaking open the Word of God and feasting on it together. And I'm just going to insert this, and we won't pass the plate twice, okay, today. This, one, this is free. This one won't cost you a dime, okay? But if you miss our Wednesday night and Sunday night Bible studies, you're missing the best part, as far as I'm concerned, of all the services we had. Those of you who attend, would you say that's to be true? Amen. Because what do we do? As one, we get into the Word of God together in Bible study. You have a chance to ask questions. You have a chance to, for me to clear things up for you or else make it as muddy, uh, like muddy water, whichever, you know. But, you know, that's when we really come together, folks, as one. And we open the Word together and we go through. See, right now, all you're doing is sitting here listening to me. You know? But, folks... As one, when we break open the Word of God and we feast from it. You see, again, this is part of congregational worship. Feeding on the Word of God. Feasting on the Word of God. Look, you show me a person that is not involved in congregational worship 
And I'll show you a person that has no desire for the word of God. I'm going to say that again. Show me a person who has who is not involved in congregational worship, and I'll show you a person who has no desire for the Word of God. And why do they not have a desire for the Word of God? Because they're not coming together with the rest. They've done rolled off the fire, and they've become cold and indifferent. Look, celebrating congregational worship, folks, automatically ignites a desire for the Word of God. You know, something miraculous happens when God's people come together as one and break open the Word of God and pray together. You know, have you ever noticed when you begin to separate yourself from congregation of the people, your heart starts slowly growing cold, and that fire begins slowly getting dim? You know what? We can pray alone, okay? We can pray alone. But there's something special, a special sense of God's presence when we agree together as one of his people, as one, congregational. You want revival? First, you must commit yourself to gathering together with the people of God, congregating with God's church. Nehemiah and his people had a famine for the word of God. They had a craving for the word of God. They had a hunger for the word of God. When was the last time you had a hunger for the word of God to where you said, I got to open the word of God and I got to do some reading. I got to do some studying. I've got to spend some time with God. Well, for most, it'd be like that Wolf Brand Chili commercial. That's too long. That's too long. Folks, if we're going to experience revival, We've got to get a hunger for the Word of God because that's where revival will come from. We must commit time in in God's Word. Look, is there a famine in your heart for the Word of God? That's where revival starts. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They hunger and they thirst after righteousness. Surely we need a hunger for the word of God. The second thing that revival requires is contemplation. Hmm. What do I mean by contemplation here? Look at verse 3. And as he read therein, talking about Ezra, as Ezra, when the people said, hey, get, get the book, get the book. Get out here. We want to hear the Word of God. We've got a hunger for the Word of God. We've got a famine for the Word of God. We need personal revival. Get out here, Ezra, and bring the book with you. Now, what we see here, he read therein before the street that was before the water gate. Now, look how long he read. Now, if I was to do this, y'all would run me off quickly. From morning till midday. From morning till midday, they were out in the street, no air conditioner where some of you are freezing and some of you are still burning up, you know, no air conditioning, no heat. They were out in the street, Ezra standing there reading the book, the law of God, from morning till midday. Let's read on. Before the men and the women and those that could understand now, look at this. Here's the important part. Here's what we're talking about, contemplation. And the ears of all the people were attentive, were attentive, uh, attentive to the book of the law. 
It was attentive. What's that mean? It means they were wanting to hear exactly what the Word of God said. Look, where is the desire for the Word of God today that it would cause people to stand and listen to the Word of God from morning time until noon? Where is the desire for the Word of God that would cause people to be attentive to it? You know, what... Why is it that many who identify themselves as believers who are saved have no desire to hear the Word of God whatsoever? Listen, as long as there is no desire for the Word of God, there is no hope for revival. I think I need to say that again. As long as there is no desire for the Word of God, there is no hope for revival. Why is that? Because that's where revival comes from, folks. It's from the Word of God. Only the Word of God can change hearts, and revival cannot come without changed hearts. You see, revival is brought about by meditation and reflection on God's Word. Now, notice that that the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Look, one can only give attention to the Word of God when they're willing to meditate and reflect on it. It's during the time of meditation, it's during the time of reflection that the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us, you know, and, and, it, and, and, and it is our willingness to hear and respond that the Holy Spirit can bring about revival. Look, the spiritual leaders began to explain the Scripture and give understanding. Look, preaching should not just be ranting and raving. It should be done in a way that the people can understand the Word of God in order that they may apply it to their life. You see, if people can't understand the Word of God, how are they going to apply it to their life? So proclaiming the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, must be done in a way... And and I I have nothing against the old-timey preachers who, you know got the ranting and raving, ripping off their clothes by the time they got through, sweat was running down them, and, you know, people would come out and say, man, what was, that was a great message today. Yeah, what was it about? Well, I don't know, but it was good. You know, he got down to just a shirt, no tie, no jacket, you know. Uh, we're glad he stopped where he did, but, you know, there, look, preaching the Word of God involves bringing it before the people so they can understand the Word of God if there's any hope of them applying it to their lives. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Look, the next thing here is our desire for corporate worship should be to hear God's word and not the preacher. Okay? Let me say that again. Our desire for corporate worship, your reason for coming to church every Sunday, okay, should not be, you know, to hear me, It should be to hear the Word of God. That's the purpose. You know, if you come to hear me, more than likely you're going to leave here disappointed at times. But if you come here to hear God's Word, listen to me, you will never leave disappointed because I am going to lay the Word of God out there to you. Okay? You know, sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes you're going to leave out of here mad at me. But you're not really mad at me, you're mad at the Word of God because all I'm doing is laying the Word of God out to you. 
Look, God's word is powerful. God's word is uplifting. God's word is peace. God's word will never let us down. You know, a study, I've seen a study here a while back that showed that 30% of Americans are functionally illiterate. 30% of Americans are functionally illiterate. You know, a sadder truth than that is many more than that are biblically illiterate. I will assure you, in the United States of America today, a large percent of even those who are in church somewhere this morning are biblically illiterate. They have no idea what the Word of God has to say. No idea whatsoever. No wonder that so many people are vulnerable to temptation, sin, error, and failure. You see, if, if they're ignorant to the Word of God, they don't understand how serious sin is. Why do you think there's all the violence in our nation today? Why do you think there's so much murder and killing and, you know, raping and all this other stuff, so much pornography, so much drug abuse, so much all of this stuff? Because people don't know the Word of God. And they don't realize that this is a sin. This is wrong. They're biblically illiterate. No wonder so many people in our nation, you know, even within our churches, see nothing wrong with abortion, same-sex marriage, living together out of marriage, men using women's bathrooms, drugs, alcohol, you know, all of this stuff. On and on we could go. Look, when there's an ignorance of the Word of God among the people, sin will always run rampant. You want to know what's wrong with America today? Biblical illiteracy. Biblical illiteracy. That's what's wrong. And again, it's even in our churches, folks. It's even within our churches. And I'm going to take that a step further. It's even within some of our pulpits. Some of our pulpits. And I think this is the biggest problem within our nation today. Even the people of God, even the people of God no longer thirst for the Word of God. And if the people of God have no thirst for the Word of God, what can we expect from the lost? <laughs> if the people of God have no desire for the Word of God, what can we say for the lost? And, and I'm just going to insert this. We won't pass the plate three times this morning. Here's another freebie for you. Let me tell you a sad truth, and this is what really bothers me. On November the 8th, many people are going to go to the polls and they're going to vote for someone who has no idea what the Word of God has to say about the issues I mentioned before. Abortion, same-sex marriage, and, you know, all this other stuff. And they're going to vote for people who are biblically illiterate to the point that they don't understand that that is sin. And you know what happens when you vote for a person who believes in the things the Bible teaches against? You're yoking yourself with them. And what did Paul say? Do not yoke yourself with an unbeliever. You say, how am I yoking myself with them? Because you are voting for them and you're saying, I'm with you, brother. I'm with you, sister. I agree. Go to Washington and pass these things. How sad. I could stay there, but I'm not. We'll get into all that a little bit later on uh, here in a month or two. But God's Word will bring about excitement. God's Word will bring about excitement. 
You see, in Ezra, we see in verse 6, blessed. Now, Ezra blessed the Lord. What that means is he praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered saying, Amen, Amen, with lifting of their hands. This must not have been a Baptist congregation, huh? Because they lifted their hands. God forbid. Okay? And they bowed their heads. And they worshiped the Lord. Here's another reason we know it wasn't a Baptist congregation. With their faces on the ground. My goodness, you mean a Baptist is going to get prostrate before the Lord? God forbid. Listen, we too should get so excited about the Word of God as they were. Folks, what has happened to the amens within our churches? What, what, what has happened to the lifting of hands within our churches? What has happened to the laying prostrate before the Lord in our churches? The ultimate purpose of the Word of God is that we may know the God of the Word. I'll say that again in case it went over your head. The purpose, the ultimate purpose, I, I think I've got that up there for you, don't I? Throw that up there, John. The ultimate purpose of the Word of God is that we may know the God of the Word. That's the purpose of it. And when we learn the Word of God and experience the Word of God, folks, let me tell you, Jesus steps forth from the pages of the book and it's like we're meeting Him face to face. And in essence, we are through His Holy Spirit. Look, if we want revival, there must first be congregation where we gather together for his word as one. Then there must be contemplation to where we study and we share and we reflect upon his word. And thirdly, there must be celebration. Celebration. Look at verse 9 through 13. And Nehemiah, which is the governor or the treshapah, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Why did the people weep when they heard the words of the law? Folks, because it cut them to the heart. It cut them to the heart. And then he said unto them, Go your way, eat and the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be you sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stealed all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them, and the second day they were gathered together, the chief of the fathers of the people and the priests and Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, even the, uh, to understand the words of the law. Listen, when we truly experience congregation, when we truly contemplate the word of God, that is automatically going to lead to celebration. It's going to lead to celebration. We can see in these passages that truly revival, uh, you know, was started with the people because they had a hunger for the Word of God and then they got excited about the Word of God. Look, we're to celebrate the grace of God in our lives then share that grace with others. 
Look, here we see Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites. They were clear to the people that they were to take what they had received from the Lord and spread it to others. Don't miss this. They were to take what they received from the Lord and spread it to others. Folks, revival should be like a wildfire that spreads throughout the churches, a wildfire that spreads throughout our communities, a wildfire that spreads throughout our cities, you know, through our nation, through our world. No one has ever, don't miss this, no one has ever experienced personal revival for personal satisfaction. Let me say that again. You do not receive personal revival for personal satisfaction. You receive personal revival to share with others so that others can experience revival, not just to make yourself feel good. You know, there's congregations that that's all they do. They meet together, you know, so the people can feel good about themselves and, you know, that, that's it. No, no, no. What we see in this passage of Scripture is, The Levites told them, you go out and share what you've experienced here. So that's what personal revival is all about, for us to go out and share what we have received from God. The next thing we see in verse 12, when we understand the word of God and the truth of God, it brings joy to our hearts. Verse 12, and all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understood the word that were declared unto them. Look, it is important to understand the importance of understanding. What I mean by that is, as we've already stated, if we do not understand the word, we will never be able to apply the word. When we understand and we apply, sorrow is no longer present. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Next thing here is happiness depends on circumstances and what is happening on the outside. However, joy is something that that happens internal when we realize that God is with us and for us no matter what the circumstances of life. Now, what I mean by that is simply this. You know, you can have bad things happen to you every day. But that don't cause you to lose your joy, or it shouldn't cause you to lose your joy, okay? Now, you know, if if it's just happiness, you you know, when bad things happen, you're going to lose that happiness. But the joy of the Lord is your strength to make it through whatever comes your way. And you should never lose that joy, even though the circumstances are what we deem as bad, as bad. Look, the joy that Jesus gives us is something that we cannot be explained nor taken away by the world. We truly ought to celebrate the joy of the Lord more than what we do. Look, don't concentrate on the sorrows of life, rather the joy of the Lord, for that is truly something to celebrate over. Let me just conclude with this. In verse 12, we see the people went on their way to eat and to drink. They did what they were instructed to do from the word of the Lord. Look, hearing the word of the Lord is not enough. You come here this morning, you've heard the word of the Lord. That's not enough. What did James say? James says, be you doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you're not a doer of what you've heard here this morning, 
James says you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. So again, it's not just enough, folks, to come here and congregate, hear the Word of God, go out those doors, and leave the Word of God here. It's not enough. We have to come to congregate, hear the Word of God, take the Word of God out those doors with us, and share with others just like they've done here, just like they did here. In other words, if you merely come to church and hear God's Word, but you do not apply it to your heart and practice it in your life, James says you're deceiving yourself. Some people think that church is boring. However, if you hunger for God's Word and if you apply God's Word to your life, you're going to find church a thrilling place to be. You're going to find church a thrilling place to be. You know, Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me. You know, Evie, six years old, she hates, she's homesick today, you know, but I guarantee you it upset her because she couldn't be in church. She's always saying, do we get to go to church today? Do we get to go to church today? You know, the difference in a kid and a grown-up is a kid says, do we get to go to church today? And grown-ups say, we have to go to church today. What's the difference in that? One word. You see how sad that is. How sad that is. Do you want to experience first personal revival in your life? First of all, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together, okay? Congregate with believers, contemplate God's Word, and then celebrate God's joy. And when we do these things, listen, personal revival will happen. Again, ask yourself this morning, do I need personal revival? And to answer that question, go back to what we said before. If you can look back in your life and see a time where you was closer to the Lord than what you are today, you're in need of personal revival. But that can only come as you seek God's Holy Spirit for it. Let's pray.